I almost just kissed her right in front of everybody. <laughs> That's my wife, by the way, uh, for anybody who didn't know. Just wanted to make sure you guys know that. Okay. Sometimes, whatever. All right. Good morning. That little slew a little better. Good morning. There we go. It's great to see you guys on this Mother's Day. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Preaching on the book of Revelation on Mother's Day. Man, oh man, it's a dangerous territory. Let's see what happens. All right, moms, I want to start out right away um, by reiterating our appreciation for you. Um, as you're turning to Revelation 21, I want to share with you five of uh, my favorite mom quotes that I've heard this year. All right, ready? Here we go. Quote number one, motherhood, all it takes is patience, humor, and a whole lot of disinfectant wipes. There we go. That's for you, babe. All right, number two, uh, I want to give my children everything I felt I couldn't afford, then move in with them. There we go. My nickname is Mom, but my full name is Mom, 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 Mom. All right. Come on, that was pretty good. All right. If at first you don't succeed, try doing it the way Mom told you in the beginning. Amen. Mom said amen on that one. That was good. Um, and here's the last one. It's not easy being a mother. If it were easy, then all the dads would do it. How about that? Moms, can I get an amen? Okay. Moms, we're glad you're here today. And uh, again, if my mom or my Mima are listening to this sermon online, then uh, just want to publicly say that I love you. Um, as we get into today's message, I want to ask you guys a question to consider right from the start. Here's the question. What makes you bored? What's boring to you? What makes you bored? Um, you know, waiting in traffic makes me bored. We're, my family and I are getting ready to leave uh, to go on vacation today. And uh, I'm envisioning that as we drive to Florida, we're going to hit some traffic. It's boring. How about going to the BMV? Uh-huh. Boring. How about work meetings without a point? Uh-huh, yeah, okay. I asked my son, Johnny, who's not in the room today, I asked him yesterday, Johnny, what's boring to you? Johnny said to me, hmm, fidget spinners. <laughs> I thought, aren't those given to kids to like alleviate their boredom? Like, I don't know. Johnny was like, he, he goes, no, dad. He's like, who wants to watch a thing spin round and round and round for continuous minutes? <laughs> I was like, good answer, man. You're a smart kid, right? So we all have different things that are boring to us. When I think about... Um, situations in our culture that uh, we all kind of had to deal with boredom to a certain level, my mind immediately goes back to, um, you know, the stay-at-home orders in Ohio in 2020. Let your mind go back there, right? March through May of 2020, uh, people were at home, not doing much, um, feeling like we couldn't go outside too often. Kids had to make a transition from, you know, school to doing school at home. Um, people started uh, avoiding restaurants and stopped eating out. Athletic events shut down. Remember, there were no um, professional sports in session. You guys remember, like, how weird it was that, like, the best thing on ESPN was, like, cornhole tournaments? <laughs> like, I remember that. So, you know, we were kind of boring. Many of us felt like we were stuck at home with the same people, having nothing to do and nowhere to go, totally bored. Here's why I'm saying that to you this morning. Because the truth is, I think many people feel similar about heaven. I think many people feel similar about heaven. Today is our third week, our final week in our series called Asking for a Friend, part two, and, or excuse me, part three. 
And the reason why we call it that, asking for a friend, is because we're talking about questions that Christians often ask inside their hearts, but they don't really want to say it out loud. We're calling it part three because this is the third year in a row where we've answered three questions like this. In our three sermons for this year, uh, here's what we've covered. In week one, we answered the question, hey, um, can I be a Christian and still believe in evolution? In week two, we answered the question uh, of, you know, why would I commit to the church when church leaders keep failing? And I appreciated all the feedback and interaction I've had with many of you over the course of this past week. Um, This week, here's the question that I want us to cover. The question that we're covering today is, what if heaven sounds boring? What if heaven sounds boring to me? I've been, this year I've been rereading Randy Alcorn's book, simply called Heaven. Uh, my, My kids started asking questions this past year around our dinner, dinner table and many of their questions revolved around heaven and what it was gonna be like and we had some good discussions so I broke out the old book, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I just wanna say publicly it's um, been a very good help to me as I've shaped this sermon for today. Uh, I commend that book to you if you want a, uh, an interesting and encouraging read about heaven. But in it, Randy Alcorn quotes a different author. Some of you may have heard of him. His name is Isaac Azimov. And Azimov, I believe, died uh, a few years ago, but he was a a well-known science fiction writer who wrote all these fascinating novels about life elsewhere. And here's what Isaac Azimov had to say about heaven before he died. He said this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever are the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. When it comes to heaven... I think many people feel something similar to Isaac Avanov, that uh, Azimov, that it just seems boring to them, that we might be stuck at home with the same people, having nothing to do and nowhere to go. To some people, heaven just seems boring. I wanted to address that this, in this sermon. I want to correct some misunderstandings. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I want us to look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Different selections from those two chapters. We're not going to work all the way through the whole thing. But we're going to, through the course of our reading, we're going to unpack three fairly common misunderstandings about heaven from Scripture. As we unpack them and we dig in the truth, I believe it's going to give us a more accurate and true view of heaven. And uh, here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that if you struggle to think that heaven is... um, You know, if you can struggle thinking that heaven is going to be boring, my prayer is that this sermon in some way might help you and touch your heart. For some of you, you're, you came today and you're like, you know what? This, this just isn't even applicable to me. I don't, I don't think heaven's going to be boring at all. I'm excited about it. Here's what I would say for you. Um, If that's you, then just know probably sometime in your life, you're going to encounter someone who thinks this way. And so you need to be ready to speak to them, whether it's your own children or friends or people who are just thinking in this manner. Listen closely to what the Lord might say to you today. Maybe he'll answer a question for you. Maybe he'll touch your heart. Maybe he'll help alleviate a worry or a concern of your own, or maybe he'll better equip you to minister to someone else, all right? So let's look at Revelation 21 and our three misunderstandings. Before we get into it, let's remember that when we read the book of Revelation, we're reading prophecy. And so God is speaking to the Apostle John about the end and what things are going to be happening in the future, um, which I guess it's not really the end, it's actually just the beginning. But as we read God's faithful and true words here, um, it gives us a clearer picture of heaven. So 
Here we go. If you think heaven seems boring, then perhaps you misunderstand first where it will be. You might misunderstand where heaven will be. Revelation 21 verse 1 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now I just want to stop right here. We're going to read more in a second. But in that first verse, here's what a basic thing that I want you to observe. I want you to see that the scripture says that there will be a new heaven. Well, what does that mean? The inference there is that there must be an old heaven. Or as verse 1 calls it, the first heaven. And that first heaven passed away. So the simple observation that I want you to make right here is that Revelation 21 shows us that there are two heavens, a first heaven and a second heaven, a old heaven and a new heaven. So I want to take just a couple minutes here at the beginning and talk about the first heaven and make some, some clarity for us because I think it really helps us, especially when people die and pass away and we always get talking about heaven and funerals and what happens afterwards. We need to be thinking accurately about heaven. So the most basic understanding of the first heaven or what we might call the present heaven is this. It's the place where believers' souls go after their death. After their earthly death. So when you and I die, our souls live on and they go to the first heaven. The scripture talks about it this way. In Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus is speaking to the criminal on the cross, the man crucified beside him, who believed in Jesus Christ literally moments before he died. And Jesus said to him, I say to you, today you will be with me in where? Paradise. That's the first heaven. The present heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8, the apostle Paul writes and he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we die, our bodies, we're not with our body anymore. Our souls go to be with the Lord. Philippians 1.23 says this. Uh, Paul says that he longed to depart from this life and to be with Christ. And so here's what we know. Here's the basics. Unless we live until Jesus Christ returns, which he will someday, unless we live until then, then we're all going to die. And when we die, our bodies stay on earth awaiting what the Bible calls the resurrection of the dead. First, First Corinthians 15 speaks in detail about that. You can read it for yourself. But our souls go to be with the Lord. And when our souls go to be with the Lord, where is that? It's in the present heaven or the first heaven. But is that the final heaven? The biblical answer is no. Revelation 21 shows us that there will be a new heaven one day. And yes, we are present with the Lord in both places, in the present heaven and the future heaven, the first heaven and the second heaven. We are present with the Lord in both places, but both places are not the same. The present heaven is not our final dwelling. The new heaven of Revelation 21 is. So there are two heavens, present heaven, new heaven. Keep that distinction in your mind. We see uh, a little bit more clarity about this as we keep reading on in Revelation 21. So we read verse one, now pick up in verse two. It says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So again, there's much that I can share about these verses in detail, but what we're focusing on right now is the where, the location, the place. And what I want you to see is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth where God brings his 
prepared dwelling place, the new Jerusalem, and he sets up that dwelling place on the new earth, right, with men. Verse three says, God will be with us. So here's why I'm bringing this up. In the end, God doesn't take mankind, he doesn't take people to some place in outer space. Rather, he comes to dwell with us on the earth. And we can debate all day whether or not it's this earth or if this earth is going to be totally like burned with fire and a new earth. Like in some manner, it's going to be earthy, okay? And so that's what we want to understand. It's going to be on earth, new earth. So when he does, here's, however it happens, here's what we've got to understand. The new earth will be a perfect earth. Absolutely perfect. Again, keep reading in Revelation 21. Verse four says this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Praise God. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. In the very next chapter, Revelation 22, verse three, it says this. No longer will there be anything accursed. Right? No accursed people. Now look, some of you probably, when I say accursed people, people who are, are hit with the sin problems of the world, some of you have somebody's face in your mind right now. Yep, that person's under the curse, okay? Here's the deal. Even the best person you've ever met in your life is still under the curse. You have never met a non-accursed person, right? We are all influenced by the effects of sin, as good as the best person is that we can imagine. We've never met a non-accursed person. Uh, in heaven, there will be not just no accursed people, but there will be no accursed animals, which will absolutely help us finally know, why did the Lord make mosquitoes? We're going to figure out, what was the, what's the actual purpose here besides to hurt me and leave a scratchy bump, okay? Uh, we're going to figure out, what is, the, what is God's original purpose for sharks? I'm about to go to Destin, Florida. I'm nervous, not going to lie. Okay, and I wonder sometimes, what's the, what was the intent here? You know, some of you who are cat people, one day we're going to figure out what's the purpose of your cat. Like, where's, you know, no offense, not trying to be mean. Where, where's Anne? I know you're in here somewhere. I saw you. Thank you. Um, but not just earthly animals, right? But um, how about the heavenly creatures that the scripture describes? Cherubim, seraphim, all these heavenly creatures. There, there's going to be, it's going to be interesting. No accursed animals, no accursed creatures. And praise God, there will be no more accursed weather. And everybody from Ohio said, amen. Okay. I, I, you know, we've never experienced a, you know, non-accursed weather situation in Ohio. It's just, you know, all over the place. Um, I, I, uh, and, you know, we think about this non-accursed earth, and we can kind of maybe get glimpses of it in our minds, but if you actually want to read an interesting commentary about it, I would encourage you on your own this week to read Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 is almost like a more detailed commentary about what the new earth will be like. Can you imagine an earth where you have warmth, but you never get a sunburn? No humidity. Snow without slipping and falling on the ice or frigid temperatures that hurt your bones. Mountains that never erode, you know, no volcanoes exploding. Gardens that grow perfectly without weeds. If it rains, it's never going to be gloomy. There'll never be a, a flood. If we feel wind, everybody in Greene County, no tornadoes, right? Like... 
imagine, you, you can start to imagine this world. It's, it's going to be amazing. And when the scripture, it, it helps us think about this new heaven and new earth because it helps us make sense, more sense anyways, about passages like Romans 8 where we read about how the earth is groaning for its redemption. Let's read Romans 8, verse 20 through 23. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Guys, in the end, the final heaven won't be some mysterious, sci-fi, alien type, you know, otherworldly place. It will be heaven. Heaven will be on a new and perfect earth. It'll be familiar. It'll feel like home to us, just like perfect home. You'll be able to enjoy it without hindrance. You'll be able to explore it without fear. You'll be able to learn about it without limitations. And you're, think about this. You ever had like a good and beautiful day on earth? Just think. You'll have those every day. <laughs> better and better all the time. Just perfect. Your good days will never come to an end. If we're concerned that heaven will be boring, we may need a better understanding of where it will be. But if we think heaven could be boring, it might be because we also misunderstand who will be there. We might misunderstand who will be there. Verse three of Revelation 21 says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So in the new heaven, God will be with man. He'll be with his people. He'll be with the people who recognize him as their God, right? And guys, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to, you know, I can't wait to be in heaven with God's people. I can't wait to meet the biblical, you know, heroes of old. I can't, I, you know, I, I, uh, I can't wait to talk to the apostle Paul and be like, hey man, what was the thorn? What was the thorn in your flesh? We've been debating that for years. Settle it. Uh, I can't wait to talk to Jesus and be like, hey, what did you do for the first, you know, 30 years of your life on earth? Won't that be cool to hear about that? Or maybe, how about the first 30 million years of his pre-earthly existence? I want to talk to Noah and be like, man, where'd you park the ark? Because we had some hot and heavy debates about this. And please, someone in heaven, will you settle once and for all, who are the Nephilim and the sons of God in the book of Genesis? Someone please settle the debate for me. You know, we need to know about this. I look forward to talking with our Bible heroes. Maybe you do too. Maybe, you know, I look forward to talking with other saints who have died long ago, the reformers, uh, the revivalists, the first and second great awakening and all the revivals that have happened around the world. How about Christian leaders and preachers and authors whose ministries have made an impact on your life, but you've never met them? Look forward to talking with them. Uh, church family, how about this? Don't you look forward to seeing our church family members who have gone to be with the Lord? The Ron Smiths and the Estel Johnsons, the Jim Jennings. 
You know, can't wait to see him again. I can't, I can't wait to see my papa again. And I get to hear him whistle and sing. Finally on tune, he used to try. He sang his heart out in church. Um, but God's, God's people will be, you know, in the new heaven and it's gonna be great. But here's what I wanna say. Listen, the best part of heaven is not the things we are so quick to think about. The best part of heaven is not that we get to meet our Bible heroes. The best part of heaven is not that we get to be reconnected with saints who have gone by and and died before us. The best part of heaven is not that we get to live in a new and perfect earth with no tears or sadness or no sickness or pain or no death or sorrow. Although every one of those things in and of itself is like wonderful and amazing, none of them are the best part of heaven. The best part of heaven is what? God. God is the best part of heaven. Why do we look more, why do we look forward to like things that are less than God, you know? Give me my mansion, my streets of gold. That's nothing compared to God. You know, like we look forward to all these other things, you know. Would you still want to go to heaven if God wasn't there? That's a question to ask. What do you really... What are you really looking forward to? God will be there. God will be there. Think about the the unfolding history of the Bible. We go in Genesis 1 and 2 and we've got Adam and Eve and they walk with God in the garden from time to time. We get into the Old Testament and the people of Israel, God appears to them in a pillar of uh, fire at night and a cloud by day and he his presence exists with them as they set up the tabernacle, but it's, it's all temporary appearances. We get to the gospels and Jesus shows up on the earth and he lives here for 33 years, but then he ascends back to heaven. And then we get the Holy Spirit and he lives within us. And what has been the natural progression of, of the biblical story? It's like God is just revealing to us that step by step, minute to minute, he's trying to get closer and closer and closer and closer until we finally get to the end, Revelation 21 and 22. And what does it say? God is with us. The best part of heaven is that God will be there. We get to be with him. We get to interact with him. We get to laugh with him. We get to learn from him. We get to inquire of him. We get to, you know, be with God. We get to see God. Revelation 22, verse three and four, just one chapter over in your Bible. Again, it says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his what? Face. There's something special about seeing someone's face, isn't there? I mean, really think about that. Think about when COVID was going on and we were all isolating and we love people. We want to be with them. So what did we do? Like we would get on FaceTime with them or video chats because why? We wanted to see their face. We remember when everybody was learning how to use Zoom for their work meetings and we're all figuring out Zoom and like you'd have those people who were on video and then all of a sudden they'd hit their, change their settings and it just went to like a blank screen with their name and you were like, come on. Like, why is that? Like, why do we have this thing that's like, oh, here's why, because we long to see people's face. It's like when the masks started coming down and you could see people's face again and we would regather in settings like this and you hadn't seen somebody in person for a long time and you finally see their face. There's something special about seeing someone's face. So 
Have you ever had like that special moment when you finally saw someone's face for the first time? Maybe you had known about it or caught glimpses of it before, but then you finally saw their face. So I'm thinking back to like when my kids were in the womb and we had those little like uh, 4D ultrasound things and, and they put the little images on the screen and you're looking at it and you're like, my kid looks like an alien, but that's cool. And I can't wait to meet him someday, I think. Okay. And then they're born and you get to see their face. You've seen the pictures of the baby that you want to adopt and then you get to hold them and see their face. Rachel and I, before we dated, one of my friends had a picture of her and I saw that picture and for years I was like, I want to see that girl's face. Like all I had was a picture. Finally, we got to go on our first date and then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. You know I am. It was on, you know what I mean? Like, there's no stopping it at that point. And she's awesome. And it's amazing to me, you know, and uh, I'm so thankful for those moments. But here's the thing. Sometimes we have to see in part for a while, but then one day we get to see in full. And the same is true of God, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. Guys, we see the Lord dimly now. We have little glimpses of him, but one day we're gonna see him face to face. I was thinking about this this week, and it reminds me of the old hymn that we used to sing in church when I was a kid. What a day that will be. There'll be no sorrows there. Talking about heaven. No burdens to bear. No more sickness, no more pain. No more parting over there. But forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who did what? Saved me by his grace. Do you long to see the face of Christ? Do you long to see God? If we're concerned that heaven will be boring, it may be because we need a better understanding of who will be there. We're gonna see God face to face. If we think heaven will be boring, then we may also be misunderstanding not just where we'll be, not just who will be there, but also what we'll be doing. What we'll be doing. If you read on past verse four of Revelation 21, you just keep reading down, it really gives a wonderful description of the new Jerusalem. Starts talking about the new earth. Everything is made new. Everything is made right. All sin and its curse and its effects are gone. Again, we get to Revelation 22, verse three and four, and it says this, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and in his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light or lamp of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and catch this, and they will reign forever and ever. Again, there's... Loads of things that could be taught just out of these verses, but the thing I want you to see in, about these verses is this. In the final heaven, right? In the new heaven, the final heaven, we will both worship and work. We will both worship and work. Verse three says we will worship him. We absolutely will. 
And we have other just biblical descriptions of heaven where angels and creatures and are, are, are singing to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, bowing down to him. We will join in the song of the nations with all the people from every tribe, tongue, and language singing worthy is the lamb. Yes, we will absolutely worship him, but we will also have work to do. We will be his servants and we will reign with him. What does that mean? Guys, here's at a basic level, I just want you to know, there's gonna be things to do in heaven. God serving things, kingdom things, ruling and reigning things. You're gonna have responsibilities as part of ruling and reigning with the Lord in his new kingdom. So here's the deal. If you're gonna have jobs in heaven, you know what that means? Some of you in heaven are gonna keep doing what you're doing right now. No career change, you just get to the new heaven, you've been equipped, you just keep doing what you're doing. Others of you, you're gonna be making a career change when you get to heaven. Here's what I mean. Some of your jobs right now exist because there's the curse of sin on the earth. All medical workers, you're in for a job change. Nurses, doctors, it's gonna be a job change for you. Why? Because there's no sickness, no death, no none, not, those aren't problems anymore. So you have a new assignment. Military guys and girls, get ready for a job change. Why is that? Because we won't need a military because all the wars will be over, all the enemies will be defeated and everything will be at peace. Others of you, you just keep, get to keep doing what you're doing, right? Builders and farmers, you're still gonna do building and farming work, but praise the Lord, you won't have the curse of doing it with the sweat of your brow, like Genesis says. Cooks, we're still gonna need you. I promise you donuts are gonna be in heaven. You can read about it in the book of Jason, chapter one. It's there, all right? Musicians, artists, we need you in heaven, absolutely. Architects and designers, do your thing. There's going to be management and administration and things that are going to happen there. So yes, we will absolutely worship, but we will also work. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because I think so many people just have this, these weird ideas of what we're gonna be doing in heaven. Don't you sometimes talk to people who have this, this idea that sounds something like we're all gonna be kind of like little children, like in onesies, floating on clouds, playing harps, just, you know, maestroing for all of eternity. You know what I mean? That picture's there, right? Like some people think that. Others of you, maybe not. That's not what you really think of. Others of you maybe have heard something like, you know, heaven's just going to be one great worship service. And while there will be worship in heaven and singing in heaven, you know, it's not going to be an eternal concert that never ends. You know, it's, we're not just going to sing one song over and over and over again. I, I, I don't, maybe you've never heard that. I've definitely heard people talk about that. And as much as I love church services and as much as I love worship, the scripture teaches us something different. There will be a new earth. There will be nations and cities and beings and creatures and resources. And it's all going to need to be ruled over and managed according to the will of the king in his kingdom who gives us responsibilities to rule and reign. Which helps make sense of other biblical passages, the parables in particular of the talents and the parable of the minas, Luke, Matthew chapter 25, Luke chapter 19, where God is compared to a king or a leader who goes away and leaves some of his resources to be stewarded temporarily by his people, managed, invested, 
And then when he returns, those who have faithfully stewarded, invested, and used what he gave them to use, um, he rewards them, not only by saying, come into my presence, but now let me give you more responsibility. Let me give you more. So in the parable of the minas, hey, you managed one mina and turned it into 10. I will, the, the, the parable says, now you will rule over 10 cities. The parable of the mina, you, you did well with one and you turned it into five, I'll, I'll, you're gonna reign over five cities. And, and so you start to read you know, the parable of the talents and in the end, what does the master say to his servant? You have been faithful with little, so I will make you faithful with what? Much. The parable makes much more sense once we understand the eternal kingdom of God, the way that there will be a new heaven and new earth and what we will do in it. So I think Dallas Willard has a nice statement about this in his book, Divine Conspiracy, where he says, a place in God's creative order has been reserved for each one of us before the beginning of cosmic existence. His plan is for us to develop as apprentices to Jesus to the point where we can take our place in the ongoing creativity of the universe. Guys, if we're concerned that heaven's gonna be boring, it might be because we need a better understanding of where it is and who will be there, but also maybe a better understanding of what we'll be doing in it. So if you think heaven will be boring, remember, summary, where will it be? On a new earth made perfect in every way. Who will be there? Not only God's people, but God himself. What will we do? Not only worship, but work for the king and his kingdom. Guys, why do we think otherwise? Why do we have these weird ideas that we're gonna be disembodied, spirit, ghost-type beings floating around in outer space? Like, where does that come from? Why do, we, why do we think of being in isolation, on clouds, by ourselves, away from everybody else? Why do we imagine just that, that heaven is mere singing, like a church worship service forever. Why do, we, why do we have these skewed beliefs in our mind? Here's why, I believe. It's because of Satan. Because remember what the scripture teaches about Satan. He was evicted from heaven. Therefore, he passionately hates the idea that we're gonna be in the new heaven and the new earth and he won't. So he's been working from Genesis until now, to trick us and deceive us. He's the father of lies, the deceiver from the beginning. He did it to Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants to do the same to us. He wants us, Adam and Eve to ignore God's word. He wants us to ignore God's word. And here's the truth. When it comes to ignoring God's word about heaven, listen, it, listen closely to what I'm about to say. Satan doesn't need to convince you that heaven doesn't exist. He just needs to convince you that it'll be boring enough that you don't care to go there. And if he can keep you from heaven that way, that means he'll get to take you to hell. And hell was prepared for Satan and the demons. You don't have to go there. Instead, you can be in heaven with Jesus and all the saints gone by and all the perfections and glories of heaven. And if you want to be in the heaven that Jesus is preparing, then the scripture says you must be saved. What does it mean to be saved? What it means to be saved is to have your sins forgiven and to be made right with God. All of us in this room know we have sins. We have a guilty record 
of sin in front of God and in his holiness, that record of sin must be erased before he can accept us. So how do our sins get forgiven and erased? The scripture says that our sins are forgiven only through the blood of Jesus. So if you want to be saved, even right now while I'm preaching, as you're hearing this and you're wondering, am I really saved? I don't know if I am. Am I gonna be in heaven? I don't know, I don't wanna be in hell. I wanna be with God, but I don't know. As you're hearing this, here's how you can be saved. First, you must admit that you are a sinner and that you have sinned against the holy God. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he gave his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and God raised him from the dead three days later. And if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll submit your life to him as your king, then you'll be saved. Admit your sin, believe in Jesus, confess him as Lord and you'll be saved. And listen, heaven will be your home. You'll never have to wonder about it and you'll certainly never have to wonder again if it's gonna be boring. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach this portion of your word for the third time today. And Lord, I wanna pray once again that you would please keep your promise and not let your word return empty. Lord, um, fill somebody's heart with the truth of your word today, I pray. Um, Lord, I first wanna pray for those of us in this room who we have said that we are saved. We, we call ourselves yours. We, even in our hearts, we, we know that we are headed for heaven and not hell. Yet, Lord, we get so caught up with other things in this world and we hold on so tightly to the things of this world. Lord, teach us to be good and faithful stewards of all that you've given us. Prepare us in this lifetime for the responsibilities of eternity. As you've given us little, let us be faithful and experience the great reward of being welcomed into your kingdom and given much to steward. Lord, um, I also wanna pray now for those who are here and they don't know. They do not know if they're saved. They don't know if they're headed for heaven or hell. They're drawn to heaven. In their heart right now, even as I'm praying, they're, they're wanting to know. I do pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts right now in a way that they can't even really explain so that they might know that it, although they are sinners, they don't have to be in hell forever. They can be with you in heaven and I pray, Lord, that they would admit their sin, believe upon Christ, confess him as Lord. And Lord, would you make today the day of their salvation. We look forward to your coming kingdom, Lord. And until we're there with you, help us be faithful stewards, either until you return or call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.